This episode of the VanCast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. And Drancer, we were so close to leading this episode of the VanCast with football after what was a ridiculous weekend. But look, let's start with hockey since that's kind of why we're here. Uh, the Canucks lose a pair of home games. They lose 2-1 in a shootout to Florida on Friday, followed by a 3-1 loss to St. Louis last night in which they were pretty good and, and not just cosmetically good with a bunch of shots that didn't mean anything. They had far more scoring chances with a heavily depleted roster, probably deserved better, but nonetheless, um, they lost and they're they're losing ground and lots to like, but the head coach said after the game that, uh, you know, as much as he thought they worked hard, not happy with the result, as you'd imagine. Yeah, I mean, I thought they were really good in the first 40 minutes with the exception of the too many men penalty, right? Which takes a goal, a goal off the board and then it's a two goal swing, right? I mean, that's the game right there. You, instead of going up two one, you're down two one and they just kind of looked flat after that. I didn't like seeing this team. So waylaid by a bounce, especially a self-inflicted error of a bounce, right? Um, did, I didn't love that. And I thought the rest of the way, they just didn't generate. They just didn't generate. Like they only had seven shots in the third period. A partial breakaway from Jason Dickinson was really the only scoring chance of note in the third period. So I didn't like that, um, especially at home. And and I know they're shorthanded. I know they're down a ton of really good players. But you have to be able to muster more than seven shots down two at home in a, in a third period. Like, that's not close to good enough. Surely, right? Surely we can agree. So, you know, the PK is sputtering again. They're what two, four, and one in their last seven. Um, you know that's not how you make up ground, and and I mean they've been fortunate that as they've sort of hit this skid since the beginning of that nightmare road trip, uh, they've also been sort of buoyed by by the poor performance of a ton of other teams around them in the Western Conference playoff race. But they didn't do themselves any favors. Um, I don't even think they really treaded water. They lost a little bit of ground, and now. It feels like this game against Edmonton on Tuesday, right? This reeling Edmonton Oilers team, right, is going they to beat be Calgary massive. on Saturday. Yeah, of course. I mean, they bounce back a bit, but the one one win against Calgary doesn't, you know, make the pissy uh, aura around this team go away, right? <laughs> Surely. And then, and then you've got Winnipeg, Calgary, Chicago, Nashville, right? And that feels like a season-defining stretch at this point, right? Like, that four games, especially with three of them coming against teams you're directly chasing, Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, kind of feels like it decides an awful lot of, of what the season looks like. And so I'm really curious to see where they end up. Um, you know, they're going to get some guys back, but regardless, uh, the form has been good. The five-on-five five form has actually improved under Boudreaux over the course of the past seven games, even as the Boudreaux bump from a results-only standpoint has kind of faded, right? Uh, they've been playing really well five-on-five, five, but so many of this team's issues, the lack of scoring, the inability to generate, the penalty kill being an absolute sieve, right? The, the inability to transition the puck well. The frustration, the endless frustration of watching Hughes and Pullman play together for no reason, right? Like, can we get Shen back there, please? Like, why? Why are we? Why are we going back to this? We have something that works. Why? Like, 
I actually think Pullman has impressed me over the course of the last 15, 20 games um, to the point where, you know, I've been trying to filter everything through like, what, what does Rutherford think about this, right? And I said to Harmon the other day, I said, we were talking about Pullman after the PK error led to the, led to the Shen Tappen, right? And, uh, and, and I, we sort of looked at each other and we were like, what was going on there? And then we got into a discussion about Pullman and I asked him, I said, what is the difference? What is the gap between Brian Dumoulin and Tucker Pullman? Really? And he was like, well, don't you think Pullman makes a better outlet pass? I'm like, I have no idea. He hasn't made one in 10 years. They don't do them in Pittsburgh. They just flip it out. He was like, yeah, okay, I can see that. I'm like, yeah, all you have to do is defend in your own zone and flip the puck. Pullman can do that. Like, Pullman might be a Rutherford. He might be the most Rutherford-suited defenseman on this roster. I don't know that Jim Rutherford thinks that, but I was sort of thinking it and discussing it with Harmon yesterday. So, like, I'm not even trying to slag him. I just, the inability to maintain possession, I think, really neuters Hughes. Like, there's something about that pair together that I think is so so much less than the sum of its parts um it it yeah i don't want to see anymore yeah it, you know and and i i kind of get why they're doing it because they think there's a bit of a ceiling there but there clearly isn't and you're getting less out of hughes being saddled by pullman in, in my opinion and, and and obviously yours as well here they need to uh, i don't think that was hurting them before and i don't think that's the reason for their their overall results currently but um we knew a couple of weeks ago, we did one of these shows and we knew that the season would get decided in January, right? Like for, forget the meaningful game in a- games in April, it would be decided by what happened in these final two weeks of January. So whether or not their form has been better, like these games are critical now, like they have to win them. They can't sit there and manage losses. They have to win them because of the opponents they're playing and just really what's happened in the last week and a half, right? Uh, you know, two, uh, two, four and uh, one in their last Seven games. Uh, they lose their first home regulation game uh, under Boudreaux with the loss last night. So it, it's tough, and and there is no margin for error for this group. So it's not like we're asking them to win them all, but because they haven't to this point. But now they've got to win them all. As far as as far as this week is concerned, the way I see it, right? I mean, I, I just think it's critically critically important for them to to maximize points because we viewed a four of ten on the five game road trip as a win for this team. But at the end of the day, it was still 4 of 10, right? I get the opponents, but the math is the math, and it was still 4 of 10, which, again, we viewed in a positive light, right? And we've seen, you know, resiliency where they've gotten down in certain games, but they've managed to just fight their way back, you know, since Boudreaux got there. And that didn't happen yesterday, right? Like, you talk about the fact that they got waylaid by one bounce. Now... I think the bigger difference is it was, as you pointed out, a self-inflicted bounce as opposed to just a bounce, right? But uh, nonetheless, right, like that's not what a resilient team does, especially when they're, um, especially when their form, their ability to generate uh, chances and and shots was as good as it was last night. And when you look at the play of the goaltender, which we'll get to here, um, Mikey DiPietro wasn't awful. Like he wasn't great, you know, but he, he wasn't the reason in my opinion, they necessarily lost the game, right? Third goal wasn't good, but when you only score one, you can't complain about your goaltending. For sure. Deep, I thought DiPietro played totally well. I like, he gave them a shot if they could have manufactured what they needed to manufacture, right? Or, or if they could have, um, you know, prevented, well, and it's weird because the PK only allowed one shot on goal in five minutes of work last night, right? Like it was maybe their cleanest night on the PK. 
It's just that the goal or that shot was like, there's no one in the world who stops that. You know, <laughs> it's a backdoor tap in, <laughs> multiple cross seam passes. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I thought he was fine. Like, he definitely, you can't expect a shutout. They put him in a position where the only thing that would have won the game is a shutout against the St. Louis Blues. And he, yeah, sure, he got beat by a screened long distance shot. Uh, seeing eye from from Jordan Cairo like there's no shame in that that happens yeah you know and, and from his perspective right I mean obviously uh, a lot better than it had been previously what do you yeah, make he looked, he looked baseline competent he looked well, baseline he, competent that's no, all you I, can ask for from a fourth stringer I, I agree you know and ultimately there there is expectation on Mikey DiPietro because he was a a hot prospect and he's got pedigree coming you know playing for the world juniors and you know third round draft pick and, and all of that so there there is expectation right like we know the name, whereas, you know, Archer Silovs is a body, right? right? And Spencer Martin. Although not not internally, not as he's viewed internally. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, internal optimism about what Archer Silovs can do, right? And I know he went in the sixth round, but um, the, the, the draft table story is like Ian Clark banging the table like, take this guy. And they're like, wait, like, we'll get him late. Don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, there are he, he's got some fans. He does, and, you know, even a guy like Spencer Martin, right? Organizational depth guy. That's why they got him. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's not that he, they think all of a sudden this guy's going to push Demko, but in the case of Mikey DiPietro, there has been thought at some point that maybe this guy pushes Thatcher Demko, right? Um, and at the very least is is the number two here. But just the reaction last night... You know, because people remember that seven-goal game when he was a 19-year-old all too well. Yeah, super unfair. Totally unfair, right? You know, it was an organization that was completely mismanaged that threw him in that situation when he clearly wasn't ready, and now everybody remembers that. Well, so they now have he multiple. Comes out here. I would, would you say they mismanaged it? I mean, they were there were multiple injuries. They almost went with um, the story as I was kicking around it. They almost went with Ryland Toth as the starter. <laughs> I'm not talking about mismanaged him yesterday. I'm talking about two no, years no, no. ago. No, two years ago. That's they almost went with Ryland Toth as the well, starter then. Like they just that was just a cataclysm of injuries. Like, well, but and coupled with the fact the guys played what 18 games in two years, right? Like the, well, the that's reaction. The big problem. That's the real. Like if we're going to talk about mismanaging Di Pietro, it's not the emergency recall game. Like that sucks, but that can happen. The thing that really sucks is their lack of like a guy like Spencer Martin is exactly the type of guy you needed to have for last season to be on the taxi squad and just like be around the team and practice when your goaltender got overworked and fill in when a guy got hurt. Like that was what they needed to have. They decided not to go out and spend any budget in that area because they were so lean in terms of their hockey spend. I mean, they were the eighth lowest spending salary team in hockey last year, even though they made a lot of noise about spending to the cap. They didn't, right? They were like 14 million below it. And in terms of a hard salary, not in terms of cap commitments. And as a result, they didn't like claim one of the guys. Like, how many goalies got claimed off waivers, right? The Canucks like oh, yeah. never, never even claimed a guy on waivers that wasn't later paid for by a cash in, cash out trade, right? I mean, the VC and um, Travis Boyd claims, like, I was surprised when they happened. And I remember my analysis on both the Vancast and in the Athletic was. This is a team gearing up for a trade because they're going to have to send some salary out. And they did just that with the Jordy Ben deal. Right. So, I mean, the way they did business last year did Mikey DiPietro zero favors, zero favors whatsoever. Really tough situation for both him and Arthur Silovs. 
Uh, the taxi squad itself was a disaster for for player development across the league. Like players were asking for loans. They were asking off of the roster, basically, uh, which you'll never see ever in the NHL again or before. Um, yeah, DiPietro spent a lot of time there. It was really unfortunate. And then, you know, he hasn't played that much this year, right? He's only played, what, 13 starts? Seems like he got sick a few weeks ago, missed some games, hadn't started in a while, gets thrown back into the fire again. And yeah, I mean, for a prized goalie prospect and for an organization that's done really, really well managing young netminders over the course of the past two decades, like it's been a long time in which the Canucks have been one of the model development apparatus for for goaltenders, um, you know, dating back to Roly Melanson and continuing under Ian Clark. Uh, it's been a really nice run for this organization. And yet DiPietro is like the goalie they've selected highest other than Demko in the last 10 years. Uh, second highest then and you know his development has very much been in service to the club's wider sort of financial issues through the pandemic it's really unfair for him i I was just shocked at the reaction though i'm sitting there on my twitter feed oh he's too short and he's too you know he's never going to be a starter like are you kidding me like i was i was stunned at the reaction to it all so negative everyone's so negative and you were (laughs) led by you no, me. What? And, me no, I'm kidding. Uh, not in this case. You're Mister Negative. That's what that's what Twitter tells me. Meanwhile, Harmon is like, it's okay to be five nine. Who? <laughs> <laughs> and, and Harmon's not five nine. Like Harmon's a tall gentleman. Um, is he? No, I he's think not. so. Isn't isn't he? Isn't he tall? Isn't he as tall as I am? I don't know. I'm like six one and change, and he's not. I don't think he's like near that. But he was just, no. he was he was on there thinking, oh, maybe Harmon is five nine. Maybe it's just the skinny side. No, so I the, the skinny side is making me think he's short. I, he's, I think he's six feet. Harmon? I think so. Oh, boy. Okay, we'll have to measure it the next day. Yeah. Uh, and, and Hair I doesn't, think, I think you hair doesn't count. You that's the separator Harman, between you and Harmon. That's true. That's a key, key point. He does have big hair. But when you, me, and Harmon standing around talking, I feel like we're all basically eye level. All right. Well, I'll, Is I'll that incorrect? It. Is that yeah, not I'll, your experience? No. I'll, I'll, but I'll, I'll have to take a closer look. Yeah. You'll, you'll pull out a graph that tells me I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, you're an iDesk guy. <laughs> uh, what, what's, this, what's this segment called? Um, the, the, eye, the seeing eye and the nerdy guy? The naked eye and the nerdy Na- guy. Naked eye and the nerdy yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Love Thank it. you. Very, very it was lots of fun. Always fun. I always appreciate being invited on to do it. Although I don't really appreciate the people who like t- tweet about my weight. Please stop that. That is Who tweets bullshit. about your weight? Really? L- lots of people. I get lots of people who are like, you need to jump on the treadmill or shit like that. It's like, fuck no, you, yeah, just yeah. Got a, you've just got a healthy face. I know. I agree. <laughs> I'm a healthy boy. <laughs> you, just, you, just, you got, you got big cheek muscles from smiling yeah, all the don't, time. Don't appreciate that. I'm that's not, it. Look, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, I don't appreciate that. You guys yeah, keep your, you should keep your thoughts on that shit to yourself. Yeah. No one no, needs fair, to hear it. <laughs> fair enough. So let's, let's go through the goaltending situation and, uh, tell us where we're at right now, just in terms of uh, okay. So, so Boudreau <laughs> did say Boudreau did say yesterday that uh, after the game that he did expect Demko back for Tuesday. Yeah, I um, mean some hoops to jump over to get to that point in terms of their levels, right? Um, but yeah, I, I and think, also Martin, and and which surprised me that he yeah, said, uh, I, I didn't get that because that's not five maybe, days, is it? Well, maybe if his symptoms surfaced late Friday night. Friday, Saturday, okay. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. You get them back for Tuesday. Um, but uh, but I think, again, it, it depends on your levels, right? Like, there's a certain level. I think it's like 30-whatever. But where if you're Demko, once, given the time you've missed, which isn't epic, but he's already had one 
layoff, do you drop them in after essentially what'll be a morning skate worth of work? Since I, they're I not practicing to. today, you have to. Yeah, I guess you do. And like, I just, I kind of think this team has to. I mean, I'd be really reluctant to do it, and not just about the missing the five days of work, but it's the, it's the combination. Like he played five games in eight days on that road trip, then comes back and goes to zero. You go a hundred to zero, back to a hundred. That's tough. Like that's really tough. And the Canucks now are going to be facing like Edmonton Tuesday, uh, Winnipeg Thurs- Thursday, right? Th- and then Saturday in Calgary. And then you got the back-to-back set early next week against Chicago and Nashville. Um, I'm sure Demko won't play both legs of that back-to-back, but I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it's not easy. Like that's a it's a big stretch of games. So I don't love I don't love seeing a guy who's never done the starters workload before in his career and has held up really well to this point in the season, be forced to go 100 miles to zero to 100 miles in that type of succession. Like that just does not, I don't know, I don't know jack shit about peak performance, but it sounds bad. Well, it, it, for sure. And it, it seems like a situation set up for injury. Right, right? exactly. And, and uh, we will dust that. And a Demko that- injury would dust this team over. Oh my God, it would, it would for sure, it would, It certainly wouldn't put any gray area into what's going to happen at the trade deadline. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So with goaltending, before we leave it all together, are we ever going to see Halak again? Like, what's he been out? Like a month? It feels like that. It does feel like that. Well, and he's, he should be out of COVID protocol, right? Like, but but for the border. And uh, that's so frustrating. That's so frustrating. I, I wonder if there's a chance he's back Tuesday. I think it would be 10 days Tuesday morning. Like, I think he could pro- maybe get to the game. In time to back up, I don't think you'd want to. I don't think you'd want to travel and start him, but I think he could at least be on the in the roster, maybe if everything goes well. But again, you know, it's one thing to lapse ten days, and it's another to get across the border, right? I mean, that can I can I tell you something? Bruce Boudreaux is right. This is bullshit. Like I understand. Like I'm not sitting here saying for a second that as a country you don't want to protect yourself at your borders from people who come into it. Right. Like as a general rule, I I respect and appreciate the restrictions around that. But when someone has the sickness, Boudreaux is right. What is the difference between COVID in the States and COVID in Canada? The condition itself. Okay. I'm not talking about how they deal with it down there versus how we deal with it up here and how it doesn't exist down there. No, but we versus us taking Canada Canada and the United States agree on, on five days. We all well, agree BC with agrees on BC agrees on BC. Five so BC, the the jurisdiction that Halak would go play in, is an agreement on the five day um, self isolation period with the CDC and the United States. So we are in alignment on that. But for whatever reason, when you cross the border, uh, it's ten. It doesn't but make sense. The, we, the we sickness, can all we can surely all agree that that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And and yeah. again. We're talking about the, Ill- the illness. So right now, if you have had COVID in the last six months, you can cross the border immediately without, te- like, without uh, after the 10 days, right? Like you can cross the border without 
uh, quarantine. You can cross the border without testing, right? Like we're viewing the sickness the same way. So if in British Columbia here, if we if we see that as a five day issue, I, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around why we are why we're differentiating between someone who got COVID in the United States versus somebody who got COVID here. Like you've got it. Yeah. It's not like we're trying to prevent Canadians from getting it. You've got it. Like it's it's just so bizarre to me. It but doesn't anyway. make sense. No, it doesn't make sense. Period. And they could get a medevac in, right? Like it, you could completely create a controlled environment, like a private medevac, which they've done before. Um, anyway, uh, before any, because people are going to hear this and they're going to just say, "Oh, I don't want my favorite things taken away." That I'm anti-vax. That I'm anti this. I would get a shot every bloody day if that's what the government told me to do, right? <laughs> like every day. Sheep. Sheep. Okay. <laughs> so you know, but but like people, people are people will hear this and they'll be like, "Oh, I, you don't want your favorite kidding, things taken right? away." Stop. I know. Stop. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're talking about people that have had it. The condition it's itself is the same everywhere. No, it, it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. So, Frankly. and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that I you know I, I'm with you. Like I I well the, the, been, the hardest part super... about it is that it's just who you get. It's yeah, well, who you get it totally. Order. Totally. Like that's the that's the insane part of it. But There's anyway. a wild amount of discretion. But you know what? That's true for work permits, too. That's true for so many different things. Like, hockey teams are used to that, um, you know, to some extent. But uh, with, f- with COVID, the stakes are higher. And the, and the sort of arbitrary uh, discretion of a border guard is more significant. I mean, the difference between 10 and 15 days is massive in the world of a professional athlete. And, yeah, I mean... It is too bad all around, and in in this case, the fact that the fact that it's like um, you know, it's like that meme. It's like that meme. It's like chicken, chicken, right? Nuggets, nuggets, chicken nuggets, chicken nuggies, right? It's like five days, five days, five days, five hey, listen, five days, and this is five this days, is, ten days. <laughs> it's like no, no, it doesn't make sense. And this is not because it's affecting the sport I cover, right? Because I'm on the other side of it. Because look, I'll tell you something. I wanted the Chiefs to win, and the overtime rules are still bullshit in the NFL, right? So. <laughs> You can be you can be on both sides of it. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I specialize in being on both sides of it. What I'm covering is my point is is that what I'm covering is not affecting my opinion. No, like, I, I, know. I just I just believe this. Um, so so with goaltending, like it's a concern to roll Demko in, in my opinion, on Tuesday. That cold, I I think it's a concern. Now I know that they're on really fine margins here, and they don't have a lot of good options. But I'd be really concerned. And, you know, they've got four and six coming up. Uh, so obviously, like you say, they're not going to play them in the back-to-back. But it, it's tough. And it would be a bigger concern, not organizationally, but personally, if you attempted to do with Halak if he was available on Tuesday. Because, as we've mentioned, he's been out forever, right? As opposed to Demko, who's just been out five days. So a very, very delicate dance for the Canucks. And they're, they're in... They're in a desperate state right now, right? In terms of just needing points immediately and you put yourself in the best possibility and you roll the dice and hope it works out for you. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing is, is like, I think the Canucks got a pretty good show, at least from Martin and from DiPietro. I mean, they got sturdy goaltending considering and they got a point out of this, right? This could have been a, a really brutal weekend and they, I thought, were in both games. So... You know, I, I mean, I, I hear you. I just also wonder, like, what does this tell you about what the club should try and accomplish with Yaroslav Halak? Like, what should this club try and accomplish next? It's a great question, right? Because, you know, 
it's it's so tough, right? I mean, if we were having this conversation in February, it would be a little bit different. But you know, for me, I think they've got enough organizational depth now that you could potentially look at making a move here if he's willing to do it. They yeah, need, yeah, you have they, to to protect your cap space. That's the worst part about it. It's like you agree to an NMC with a guy who you know in the middle of an, one of his like totally fine NHL seasons got sent to the AHL, right? The NMC was a priority. They had other offers with teams that would be competing for a Stanley cup. Like he had lots of suitors. The Canucks landed him at one, a one five cap hit, which enabled them to do a whole bunch of other things in the off season, including protect themselves from a Pedersen offer sheet. And so you made this deal. It's really a $3 million deal. It's not a 1.5 plus 1.5 deal. That's just what yep. it is on paper. You know, yep. it is a $3 million deal. And You've changed management now, and I mean, I just, it's such a, it's such an unfortunate spot to put a guy, like a veteran guy who's, you know, by all accounts, a great teammate, one of the most consistent goaltenders of the last 10 years. Like, you know, Yaroslav Halak might be one of the most underrated netminders of the last decade, and yet, I, I just, I don't see how you could responsibly look at what this team should try and accomplish over the next two months and not conclude that among them... Uh, I mean, ideally, it would be finding a way to duck that bonus. Yeah, I mean, and, and it, by the way, by the way, there is some confusion on this. I, I, I believe that he immediately gets paid upon hitting the ten game mark, and I believe that that cap hit then stays with the team with whom he hits it. Like that would become an overage for the Canucks the moment he plays in his tenth game. So it's not something you can like have him play ten and then sort out later. I believe that, and I've checked with some people. Like I believe that the moment he hits ten, the Canucks are on the hook for a one point two five million dollar overage next season. Yeah, it's like I said, it's a tough situation, and I don't know who wants to take that on at this stage because any team that's generally contending that he'd be open to going to is probably right up against it as well, right? Right. And you're yep. you're going to wind up having to put a sweetener on that deal, or take money back. Yeah, or take money back for this year for sure, as yep. long as you're not dealing with it for next year. So it's a, it's a tough situation, but you you think right now that you've probably got enough organizational depth to get you through whatever back-to-backs you're going to need to deal with. Especially now that everyone's had COVID. Yeah, and looking at the schedule, <laughs> you know, like, like, looking, but looking at the replacement schedule, it's not as daunting as I'd first imagined. Yeah, no, it's right? not. So just in terms of that part of the scheduling, so whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's Spencer Martin or Silovs or DiPietro or whoever, you probably have enough to get you through that small handful of games because ultimately, if Demko gets hurt, it's over, right? So, like, let's not start talking about well, what if Demko gets hurt? Then what? Well, then what? Why do you care? Yeah, then, then it's over. Yeah, you're done, right? So like, you might be done anyway. You might be done. For anyway. sure, you are. For sure, you are. You're hanging by a thread as it is. Yeah, D- losing Demko cuts that thread. So let's not worry about that part of it. In fact, right? in fact, it you know, seventeen percent odds today for Dom Lecision's, uh playoff model, right? So it's pretty so good, better than I thought. Is it? Yeah, it's better than I thought. But it, I mean, you're in with a puncher's chance, right? It's like yeah. a one in six. It's a little bit better than a one in six shot. You're, you're a little Jimmy, bit worse you're than Jimmy, a one in five. You're Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, but who wants to be Jimmy Garoppolo? Well, he's a good looking guy. I mean, but I'm just saying, Jimmy G might win the Super Bowl and still get moved. I know, but I'm saying he's in the, he's in the he will get moved. He's in the final four, so you got a sorry, puncher's chance. I, I, they got a I, puncher's chance with Jimmy G. I want one of the big four in the AFC. You know, like I know. I'm with you. Like I want, you know, you don't want to be Jimmy G. You want to be Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow or certainly Josh Allen, who is, as far as I'm concerned, is a superhero. 
Uh, obviously, Patrick Mahomes. Man, we'll talk about that. We'll game get it. In, Come in on, you're, you're, I, I'm, it's so easy to draw you in. I love. I know. It. I know. I was so. <laughs> I was so stoked last yesterday. Like I was so excited, even though, um, even though I uh, I had a really good I had a really good Saturday gambling because I knew that the Bengals would win. Okay, we'll, 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 no, we're, I'm, I'm going to pull you out. We're getting into this in the okay, last Okay, okay, sorry, sorry. Okay. And th- but then I had back a really to back to goaltending. Gambling day Sunday. Yeah. Look at, look at this, the football guy pulling nerdy guy back into hockey talk. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so goaltending, I mean, as far as the lack is concerned, um, they, they have to go down this road. And I, and I think they will, but it's going to be delicate because I, I think Super that, delicate. I don't think he's got any desire to, to move at this stage. I think it's going to take no. a really compelling situation for him to go from everything I've heard around this topic, right? It's it's not like, you know, an extensive list. Well, he he's gonna he's gonna be really really specific here. Well, let's talk more generally about the tactfulness required from this management group over the next two months because it's it goes beyond convincing guys to waive or or what moves you make, but I mean. You know, this is a team that under Bruce Boudreau is trending in the right direction. They're 10-4 and 1 or 10-4 and 2 in Boudreau's 16 games, right? So they've played really well. And at 5 on 5, their form has gotten appreciably better under Boudreau, right? We're now at a point where the expected goals percentage jump is, you know, closer to 5% than it was to 3%. Um this team is materially better. Uh, because of Boudreaux's influence, and and uh, you know it's a it's a phenomenal accomplishment from the from the Canucks head coach who hit a thousand games, and and congratulations to him. Um, the market is now like pretty enamored. It feels like with this team, right? I mean, there's a lot of um, I wouldn't say there's a lot of excitement. I I still feel like, but but I talk to people who aren't like big hockey fans or, around the city, and they're like, oh, that team they're they're doing okay now, right? You know, it's like it's like there's curiosity. I'd say there's emerging curiosity about this team. And, you know, I still think, too, knowing the history of this organization, like if this team is close to a playoff spot or, or is still fighting, has a fighting shot over, over the next six weeks, you know, it's going to be a delicate maneuver just to dismantle the roster for, for a new president of hockey operations and general manager both in the eyes of this marketplace, but also in the eyes of club ownership, right? Who who will have looked at the expensive changes they made in early December and and I the idea of you know playoff revenue is like, hey, I, I, we could break even here. <laughs> we could break even here. Um, so you know, I'm really curious to see how it's all managed and and how it's managed with some key players too, who are up relatively quickly. I mean, you you got Besser up in a year, or at the end of this year, you've got. Bo Horvat up in two years, you know, like how do those guys feel about the possibility that the team may need to, or may feel they need to take a step back to take a step forward? Because here's the last thing, like I was looking at Dom's model today, the 17% and the Canucks are now basically have the, you know, slightly better, but roughly the same playoff odds as the San Jose Sharks. And I looked back to the start of the trend, like at the start of the season and the Canucks had roughly the same playoff odds going into the play in the season. Um, per Dom Lecision's model as the San Jose Sharks. And I just thought to myself, like, the Sharks are bad. Like, everyone in Vancouver, if you said, are the San Jose Sharks still good? They'd be like, no, they're not. But the model rated them as being equivalent. 
And as much as this organization was surprised by the way that the season went sideways to open the year, like the industry wasn't. The industry didn't rate this team as highly as people in this city and as uh, you know, Canucks ownership and officials thought rated the team. So if you've got an outside voice now coming in, right, and and is at the helm, is the steward of this franchise now, like they're more likely to feel the way the industry did about this team's quality, right? That's a fascinating dynamic to unpack, especially as the club's performance trends in the right direction. And I'm just really curious to see how it's navigated and rolled out uh, over the course of the next few months, because, you know, there's no way in my mind that anyone from the outside would come in, anyone with Rutherford's pedigree or high expectations or championship you know, experience as an executive would look at this roster and say, we're close. Like, I just don't think they are. I've been pretty consistent about that all year. Um, you know, uh, even when they won nine in a row, my mind wasn't really changed or swayed. And I sort of still think that this club needs to do some of the work, you know, to free up cap flexibility and restock the prospect system and gain draft capital and get, just gain assets so that you can materially make improvements around sort of a small core group of players that I do think really highly of. Like, I still think this team has good bones, but you need you need to make some bold moves to get it back on track. And that, yeah, just, no, feels, that just feels like what they'll, they'll want to do ultimately. It does. It's just a case of when they choose to do it, right? Because they, and how, yeah. Because for, for me, if the Canucks... Look, they were never going to stay on that role they were on initially before the last break, uh, before the last trip, I should say, um, and break. But... If there's some level in between that allows them to stay in the conversation until the trade deadline, I do believe they're not going to tear it down at the deadline, right? I, I I just don't see that happening in that moment. And, you know, does JT Miller have that much more value at this year's deadline than he does this offseason? No. The answer right? is no. It's, yeah, that, which is which is my point. So you'd rather... Unless, kind of, unless someone gives you a ton. Sure, but... Again, with term on a on a team friendly deal for another full season, he still carries value out the during the offseason. Yeah, correct. You, well, and and Rutherford said that to me last week, right? Uh, we're not going to feel pressure. It, none of we we don't really have an expiring UFA situation that you know we feel we need to urgently address. I mean, Tyler Mott would sort of be the exception, but that's not a you know a core level player, right? Um, yeah, like Tyler Mott is Tyler Mott's going to have value. Yeah. And he will be of greater value to somebody else than he will be to you, depending on what happens at the time of the deadline, right? Like, I mean, you, you may be in that situation where if you move him, it's not it's not completely crushing in that moment. But I mean, you know, I, I know that people love Tyler Mott here. And all of a sudden you got that line that's, you know, call it a fourth line or a third line or a second line, depending on the week. But you can't, he, he's not a core piece. So if all of a sudden you can really hit a home run by moving a piece like that, you got to look at it. Right. And sure. But I, I mean, I think, too, I think, too, if you're going to you're not going to hit a home run with a Tyler Mott trade. Right. No, you're not If you're going to hit a home run. It's going to need to be a bigger piece. Will they consider that before the deadline? I think it will be heavily dependent on the prices that potential buyers are offering. What would um, the value of a Tanner Pearson be at the deadline? Well, because he's got term man, so not significant. Like it's it's this weird moment where it's like if he had one year left, like he did a year ago, his value would be massive. Yeah, but two years but, left is too much. But two years left, o- almost almost none. Like it would have to be a cash in, cash out deal, right? Like 
he's a good player who's who's well thought of. I'm sure there's teams that would like to add the heaviness and the cup pedigree and the ability to chip in in all situations, but you know the the term um, attached to him makes it so that you know his his trade value in a you know is is negligible, like is you know almost almost even. Like the guy, the guys who I think would have value are, you know, a, 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 in addition to the obvious, like one guy I think you shouldn't sleep on as a, as a trade asset that I think would have a lot of interest around the league. Um, and, and I've, I've noticed as I talk to people around the league, like people asking me questions about how he's played, um, which, which for me is always a tell that there's some interest is, um, Kyle Burroughs, you know, like he's shown that he can play the right and the left side. He's shown that he can be reliable depth. He's shown that he can hold, hold up at the NHL level. And he signed this year and next, you know, uh, on a league minimum contract. Like, that's the type of guy that teams are like, oh, you know, that guy could help us for a long playoff run. Like, that, and next season, he's not even just a rental. Uh, those are the types of guys that teams are interested in, as opposed to your mid-range, um, middle-class guys, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, and that would be interesting if they could extract value from, from that as opposed to moving a more obvious piece based on how this team is constructed. Uh, we'll get into that a bit more. We also, I also want to talk to you a little bit about Pedersen and Besser uh, when we come back, and we also want to get into our NFL stuff. But before that, Elias Pedersen last night, no shots after the game. Bruce Boudreaux says, yeah, it wasn't about them focusing on him. He needs to take more shots. Brock Besser at the opposite end of the spectrum, 11 shots, six on goal. What do you make of those two? Um, I didn't think they were particularly great against the Blues, but I thought they were good. Like, I thought they held up pretty well against the O'Reilly line. Um, I just didn't, I didn't think that line was at its best on Sunday night. No, me neither. Um, you know, I thought, I do think Pedersen needs to be shooting. His, his shot attempt rate skyrocketed in the, in the five games he played going into last night or the six games he played going into last night when he was like, you know, um, hot when he was like scoring and producing. You, talk, you talked about it on your on nerdy guy. I did. And then last night, uh, you know, I, I didn't see that shot attempt right the same way. Um, but, you know, still a good five on five night for them. Uh, they're, they, I didn't like how they were used in the third period. Like until the net was empty, I, I thought they were being underplayed. They were pretty consistent in terms of ice time with Dickinson and Lamico. And I don't like that. Like, I think you got to shorten your bench a little earlier. Someone's got to um, stop feeding Jason Dickinson for breakaways. <laughs> yeah, although it was a great pass. I was. Um, oh, yeah. Just to the wrong guy. Yeah. Yeah, the bad uh, pass, spectacular. Unreal. But the, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, not to, I'm not like, I don't want to overplay it. Like the Lamico lines played really well and the Canucks don't have a lot of guys who are, you know, who you can be like, yeah, you can lean on him for offense. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not being like harsh in my player deployment criticism i just i did think they should have been ridden a little bit harder a little bit earlier in that third period um but you know i don't i don't know that they were on top of their game so I, i'm not gonna get too mad about it guy i did think was on top of his game last night by the way was quinn hughes i thought quinn hughes was phenomenal uh last night and it's it just didn't matter because the connects weren't generating anything aside from you know him just sort of cutting through the neutral zone like it was butter right i mean he's so good he's so good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically I become live, rinse. Re- it's it's been it's become rinse repeat, right? Yeah, it, we're 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 so used to it that it's like, oh yeah, Quinn Hughes just skated through three guys in the neutral zone to gain the zone, whatever. 
And it's like, no, that's not whatever. It's amazing. It's unreal. He's so good. Uh, I thought he was really good last night. But but you know, I didn't I don't I didn't think I didn't think if you were wait if you were hoping that Pedersen would have these games where he like took things over in the absence of Miller and Horvat and company, I, d- I don't think he did that. No, he, he didn't. I mean, it was uh, it was an average performance. It wasn't what we were seeing a month ago. It was better than that. But I mean, just compared to what we've seen in the last five games, it was a little bit different. Yeah. I don't think there's any reason to, to panic about that. I no, no, still no. think it's it, trending in the, in the, the right shot. direction. I just yeah. want to see the shot more. That's it. So we've been through um, two head coaches, uh, multiple people working with the PK. And you mentioned earlier that they just gave up one shot, but ultimately like eight for the last 16. And it's now officially costing them games again. Uh, yeah, and I mean, we talked about the biggest goals? turn. Is it eight power play goals again since the start of that in the last seven games? Like, that's yeah, tough. This is know, a tough way it, to live. It it is a tough way to live. And you know, we we've talked about when the, when the team was playing well, and nobody wanted to hear this. But you know, you talked about it that ultimately this was a change in their penalty kill, and this is the goaltender playing out of his mind, and nobody wanted to hear that. But yeah. It's kind of come to that again, that uh, and, the penalty I mean, kill it, sucks again, and yeah. you're getting a bit of a hiccup with different goaltenders in the net uh, based on COVID, and not that, you know, like, and obviously Demko was available on the road trip too, but yeah. it's... Uh, there were it, material there were material signs of improvement in that nine-game stretch when they killed 90% of p- penalties to, to begin the Boudreaux-Scott Walker area, or Scott Walker era. Um, there were m- meaningful signs of improvement. It's just that the extent of the improvement was smaller than it looked in terms of the results because Demko was stopping 920, uh, like, you know, had a 920 save percentage shorthanded um, where the Canucks had been at like 720 before. And now and now the Canucks' power- penalty kill has meaningfully regressed. And even even when they were sparkling, the underlying profile looked like a bottom 10 or a bottom five PK for me. It's just that they went from being like a wasteland to being, you know, uh, like just bad. And that's a huge difference. Like that's a huge, if you're just bad on the PK, if you're just like a 75 or 72% PK team, like that sucks, but it's not going to crush you. And right now the Canucks are 50% over the last six, six, seven games. And they're getting ventilated by for a goal against, against per game. And, and you can't win like that. You just cannot win in the NHL surrendering that many shorties. And so, yeah, I mean, or sorry, short, that many goals when you're shorthanded. And so, um, you know, I, I just don't think this club has the personnel to be very good. Like, I just I, they're not going to be better than a t- bottom five PK this season. Uh, but I don't even think they're going to be better than a bottom five PK from like today through the rest of the season. Like in the second 41 games, I'd expect the Canucks to still be like, you know, well south of 75% on the PK for the balance of the year. And that's just tough. Like it's just, it, it, it's too hard a league to be sputtering in that manner. And I don't know how you get better without, you know, some sharper lockdown defensemen and some guys who can win draws. Like I think you need both to upgrade this PK. And I, I think that has to be something that the club keeps in mind as they approach decision making time in the in the weeks and months ahead. Yeah, but this is the thing is that that is that that decision could be completely counter to what this team needs big picture. Right? Like to address that now. Yeah. You know, like that that's a tough one, right? Totally. I mean, it's but more than anything I think it, it should be weighed as you evaluate like can we make the playoffs? Is it worth making the playoffs, right? Like well, we can't kill penalties. Like that has to be you know, a top of mind consideration because that speaks to the construction issues that this team has hobbled under all season. All right, buddy. So we've done 45 minutes of a hockey pod. Yeah. 
Uh, first of all, for the record, I am still still beyond sour because I was not in Kansas City. When we did our pod last Wednesday, I had my flights booked for Kansas City. Yeah. And for the first time in my 27-year broadcast career, we were denied credentials. Brutal. Kansas City, Ugh. their PR staff said, yeah. uh, no, even though we've got a full stadium and we're not even doing vax checks, even though we've got a vax policy, we're going to cut our media allotment way down, like virtually in half. Jeez. So they said, you, we, we're not letting you in the stadium, even though we're a rights holder. They said, for auxiliary media, we're setting up a tent outside, and you can then have a shot outside with the stadium in the background. Um, but we won't let you in the stadium. I mean, it's fun It's fun to be outside Arrowhead to drink before a game. Yeah. I've, so, I've, I've, I, I saw the, um, what was his name? He ended up in the CFL. Was it Chase McDaniel? From uh, Mizzou? Uh, Chase Daniel. Chase Daniel. Yeah, I saw the Chase Daniel, the one year that KU was really good with Aqib Talib, the, the Aqib Talib KU Jayhawks football team that was really good. And it was for a game against Mizzou, their bitter rival, to uh, to play in the national championship. And I was, I was there for that game when I was in university. Um, I had family down there in Lawrence, Kansas. So um, I, had, I had a great time tailgating at Arrowhead. That's my Arrowhead story. I was in the building that night, though. Hey, <laughs> I'm so sorry look, that happened, though. That sucks, Oh, man. man. I was there for the Brady when they lost three years ago and when they won two years ago. I was not there last year. Um, so it's, it's an incredible place to watch football, like just like to, to watch a playoff game. I mean, it's up there in the Lambeau era or uh, airy code, I should say. And I was so sour. And then watching the game play out, I mean, how often do you get a game? Because a week ago, before they played Pittsburgh, right, I had talked about, can you imagine what an incredible game it's going to be in two weeks when Kansas City and Buffalo play? And I had all these people saying, what do you mean? They haven't even played Pittsburgh yet. What are you talking about? And I'm like, well, shut up. Really? Yeah, stop. Right? Um, and sure enough, it happened. And there was all this hype around the game. We had three unbelievable games. And we all knew the best was being saved for last. And it <laughs> over-delivered. It over delivered, and I should have yeah, been there. So I'm so angry, and I'm it should have been the it should have been the AFC Championship game. Well, right, that's, let alone it should have been the Super Bowl. But at the very least, it should have been the AFC Championship game. That's got to be the lesson. Like I hear people sort of doing the Monday morning quarterback thing with the Bills, right? And people are like, "Well, that third and or that fourth and one early in the third, you know, you have you should have run it. You were perfect on fourth downs all game." And I actually kind of agree with that one. And then other people are like, "You should have you should have done a squib kick." Completely ignoring the fact that Tyreek Hill was back there. And like, if you were kicking to Tyreek Hill um, in that game, like, I don't know why you would, right? Well, like, people I also don't understand that a squib kick could be down. You could give yourself up immediately, right? Like, you could fall on totally. it, no time comes off the clock. And if you squib kick it and somebody just happens to be right there when it bounces at the 30 yard mark, you've given up even more field position. Right. And but here's also, also, you know, it could get to Tyreek Hill and you could have a big fucking problem on your hands. <laughs> With the slipperiest man in football running at you, um, and then and then last is the last is uh, you know the the uh, they went with the cover two on the Kelsey reception that gets them into field goal range, right? And you know no, they didn't uh, no no one checked no no one stopped him at the line, so it's like even though the Bills got good pressure on Mahomes, he was able to get the distance he needed to Kelsey um, with the with the quick up. Um, Fair enough. I mean, I just used a hockey term quick up, but you know what I mean. He hit him on a vertical route really quickly um, and he had the distance he needed. Uh, so, you know, I see all of that, but it's like, you know what really mattered for the Bills? Ultimately, I think 
Farhan, is that they weren't consistent enough in the regular season. Like, you want to beat Mahomes, you have to stack everything in your favor, and that means making them come to you. That means having home field. Like, that means being more consistent in the playoffs so that you don't have to face them until the AFC Championship. The Bills didn't necessarily, for me, lose the game on any of those plays that we can talk about. They, they lost the game in part because they had to play it at all at this stage of the postseason. There's two minutes to go in that game. The score is 26-21. Yeah, people and- are worrying about the over. Yeah, no, but no, no. But I, I so I sent out a tweet at that point saying I saw. the Bills are going to score, go for two, to go up three. Kansas City is going to come down and tie it, and we're going to go to overtime. Yeah, like and- who's in? Who's in? Well, yeah, but not only but not only that, I missed two touchdowns along the way, like with two minutes to go. So they get a touchdown, they get a touchdown again, and then they come back and get the field goal. It's like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Did that game over deliver? And Josh Allen is a superhero. So well, um, but I said earlier in the week that they if they could control him on designed runs, that was their one key, and they did. So I was happy I got that. But like, oh my God, just what a game. What a game. Uh, best game ever. I've watched a lot of football, and I know for you it's a gambling thing. I've watched a lot of football, and I can honestly say that might be the best game I've ever seen. Uh, it's the best game I've ever seen, too. And uh, so I had a brutal gambling. Like, I had a lot riding on the Bills on Sunday night. I had a lot riding on the Bucks earlier Sunday, and I was doubling down on the Bucks. I actually got lucky. So I got lucky a couple times in-game, but it's like the bets I placed before the game trended terribly and then i got lucky because i just was holding these bets on the bucks and at 27 27 i cashed them all so it's like i i turned big losses into a small win which was nice i i very much appreciate the rams for doing a choke job long long enough for me to do that and then i was able to cash out because i actually had zero faith in the bucks to actually win that game so then i'm taking a massive haircut throughout the night as it becomes clear that the chiefs are likely to win. And so with, um, on that drive, the 20, the first one, the one that sets it all up, the 23, 21 or the 20, is it 25, 21, 26, 21, 26, 21. Yeah. Yeah. Before they hit the two point, uh, before they score and then hit the two point, I throw a bunch of money, um, on the bills money line. Just like, I'm like, they'll make this drive. Right. And then they score on the fourth and 12 and I'm like freaking out. Right. And I hold that right up until 13 seconds left, at which point I cash, having doubled my having doubled my money to say, save my pot. And and I put uh, I put 10 bucks on the uh, on the Chiefs money line at that moment as well. Oh, um, no, really? Yeah, That's awesome. yeah. And I saved my whole gambling day because it's like I only put 10 bucks, but it paid out 130 bucks like it was 13 to one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, I ended up I ended up roughly even for the week, which was pretty good considering that I missed both Sunday picks. Like I nailed both Saturday picks. Um even though I picked the Packers on our show last week, like I didn't really believe in them and I put a bunch of stuff on the on the 49ers money line late. So I had a really good Saturday. I had a really rough um I had a really rough Sunday, but I but I managed to salvage it with the with the Bills Chiefs weirdness uh late. Wow. Also, also, I put, I put, I decided to cash. I had a bunch of money on the Packers that I actually decided to crush. Like I, I just destroyed all my Packers um, bets before the game because I realized I didn't want to watch the game and root for Aaron Rodgers. I just couldn't do it. I was just like, you know what? Fuck this guy. I don't want to. 
And then, and then, in fact, I bet thirty bucks on him throwing an interception just so I had something to root against in the game. I didn't really expect that to cash out. He never throws ints, but uh, it was lots of fun. Well, uh, yeah, and let's not, let's not kid ourselves. For all the Niner fans out there, been getting into it with Scotty Rintoul and, and Matt Baker. The, the Packers lost that game. Uh, it wasn't the other way around. And they're going to and well, the Niners uh, are going to Packers get, special teams were a disaster. Absolutely, and disaster. they are going like to, the Canucks PK. They're gonna they're gonna lose uh, the Niners are gonna lose handily this week to the Rams. Oh, you think so? Absolutely. Like the the fact that they won the last two if like the last two games, Matt Stafford has played clean, and when he plays clean, he is exceptional. Like the gap at quarterback in this game this weekend is staggering. Yeah, and, but the Niners defense is a totally different animal than what he faced against Green Bay and against the Cardinals. Yeah, but the Niners trying to run the ball against the Rams defense is a significantly different animal than the Packers run defense as well. 100%. It's going to have to fall on Jimmy, and he's not good enough. Every Jimmy Garoppolo game, there's going to be two egregious mistakes. There's going to be two more that were almost mistakes, and you were holding your breath and saying, oh, my God. And then there's going to be one really good play. Like, that's that's the Jimmy G game. So and, you're, but you're betting that Stafford can have, like, the Joe Flacco-like run? Yeah, or you're just like thinking, I'm not telling you he's going to win the Super Bowl the because Kansas City is going to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, Kansas City is going to win the like, Super Bowl. Like there, there's no chance San Francisco beats the Rams three times in one season. It's not happening, especially yeah. with that. Especially with that secondary. I don't it's, know, man. Like when they did I, it the last I, time and they came back from 17 points, Matt Stafford handed them the game. He I'm, handed them the game. It won't happen this week. I'm not so sure. I think the Rams. I I think the Rams. Like the, I, I don't know that I was particularly inspired by the Rams performance like I don't really believe in Sonny Michelle I don't know how much they believe in Cam Akers after that game like we know what Stafford and Cooper Cup can do I think Odell Beckham has been great for them Van Jefferson they used like pretty in pretty interesting ways like that offense is good and that front four is terrifying especially with Von Miller playing this way but you know I I think the I think the 49ers defense can hold I think that 49 49ers defense can give Stafford some real trouble, especially after we saw what the Bucs did to them in the second half last night or yesterday. Yeah, I think they I think they did that to themselves. I mean, like Cooper, uh, Cup's, not fumb- for sure. Cooper Cup's not fumbling again. You know, total fortunate play on the missed snap. Uh, of who, which field goal kicker can't like reach a 47 yard field goal? All <laughs> moments that would have ended the game. I know. Um, and, yeah, and we're not unreal. talking about facing Tom Brady. We're talking about facing Jimmy Garoppolo. But like, Tom Brady's in. Tom Brady didn't even play well. There, yeah, but there, there, there's a reason they can bust. San Francisco's moving on from Jimmy Garoppolo at the end of the season, and it, it yeah, just, no, it's, I, it's not. I, it's, I know. It's outside know. the realm of possibility that they're going to beat him three times this year. I, I I disagree. I think I I I will make our picks on Wednesday. But I'm not. I'm not oh, as yeah, bullish on the Rams as you. Show. We still got a Wednesday yeah. show. And yeah, we'll make our picks on Wednesday. And all I can chief- say is that I'm really excited. And also, also, I also think I also think the nine sack Bengals can give the Chiefs more trouble um than than most people expect. Yeah, I don't think that happens at Arrowhead. Um, I don't think the Chiefs I don't think the Chiefs should be laying seven against them. Like I don't think, oh, I that's think fair. that line's that's too fair. high. That's fair. But they beat um, them. They beat them. Like they can't defend Jamar Chase and they can't pressure Joe Burrow the way that the like their front four is not the Titans' front four. No, but their offense is a thousand times better than the Titans. Sure, like they're so much more explosive than the sure, Titans. Sure, but the but I mean, they are so much more explosive than the Titans. But the Titans didn't like the Titans were in that game because they bottled up 
and and just like absolutely harass Joe Burrow. If Joe Burrow has time, he's also going to get his. Uh, yeah, but I also think if you're from a Chiefs perspective, they're 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 not facing. Well, I haven't seen a Chiefs defender tackle Jamar Chase all season, so until I see that. (laughs) Well, no, that's fair. And I would imagine they're going to have a different game plan dialed up for that. I mean, the Chiefs just gave up four TDs to Gabriel Davis, and you know who Gabriel Davis is not? Jamar Chase. He's not Jamar Chase. He is not Jamar Chase. And Jamar Chase is like four TDs against the Chiefs. I I only got three and 266 yards the last time. Like, you know, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, like, the you know, one thing the Bills T. don't Higgins have. Is o- T. Higgins is overrated. What do you mean T. Higgins is overrated? Did you watch T. Higgins in that last game? He was garbage. He had some drops. But he was also open every time they threw to him. Yeah, but that's because they're all double che- double teaming Jamar Chase. Yeah, like, I know. The fact is, is that, he, you know, as much as, as, much Higgins, as Gabriel... T. Higgins is 22. Gabriel, he's 22. He's like 6'3", and he's got yeah, soft hands. He's, what are you talking about? He's also going to be 22 this weekend. So as far as... This weekend is concerned. I mean, you look at what they did to Buffalo, and yeah, they Gabriel Davis had a field day, but every other receiver on that Buffalo team was completely invisible. So don't tell me somebody Buffalo, else is going to Buffalo beat them. doesn't have weapons like the Bengals. Like I, I, Stephon I Diggs is pretty damn good. Yeah, Stephon Diggs is very good, but he's not Jamar Chase. No, but he's way better than T Higgins. Is my sure, point. sure. But so I if, mean, you're, if you're looking at a complete, if you're looking at a complete cast, um, anyway. We're, I'm we, just saying we got like, to give you our picks on Wednesday. Yeah, we'll uh, give you. I'm just saying I don't like do not count out the Bengals here. I, I'm I'm not going to pick them. I'm going to uh, like uh, to preview yeah, Wednesday you pick show them to cover. I'm not going to pick them. I'm definitely picking them to cover. You know, the best uh, but part I also, of all but of this, I also think they have a shot. I also think there is a there is a game script a, where the Bengals win. Like the Bengals defense is not terrible. They have like, a better can, shot than San Francisco does. Oh, um, e, I don't know about that. They have a better I, chance I think, than San Francisco does. I think San Francisco has a real chance. I think you are. I, well, look, well, I'm not betting against the Rams anymore. I bet against them both weeks. The Rams are the the Rams are my kryptonite now. So I'm really uh, I'm really out on on Rams gambling. Like I I might just stay away from their games entirely. But the Bengals, I do think, can give the Chiefs a game at the start of the season. And and I, I put this on. It's been on Twitter and it's been on my own football pod. Chiefs and Rams are my Super Bowl picks. I'm, I'm picking them again this week. Now, along the way, I picked the Bills last week, and yep. I picked the Cardinals two weeks ago. Yeah. Just based on what I was seeing to that point. But I think when all is said and done, I shouldn't have second-guessed my August picks. Yeah. Um, we got to go. We got the Canucks and Oilers. We will talk about that game uh, on Wednesday, the first of four in six for the Canucks. So a tough stretch ahead, which is going to define their season. Like, along with what we've seen it at is. this point... It's going to define their season. We look forward to talking about that on Wednesday. Meanwhile, Alex Tuck of the Buffalo Sabres will join Sean Gentile and Craig Custance on the Athletic Hockey Show USA on Tuesday. Tim Warnsby, who wrote Gold, How Wayne Gretzky's Men Ended Canada's 50-Year Olympic Drought, will join Rob Pizzo, Sarah Sivian, and Jesse Granger on TAHS Roundtable this week. As for us, we'd like to thank you for listening to the VanCast. We love our VIPs, even even those of you that are annoyed now that we've been talking football during the playoffs. Please follow <laughs> us on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Heck, give us your NFL playoff picks if you want. And right now, get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash the Vancast. We will be back on Wednesday.